Chapter fourteen of Babu Jabberjee BA. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Babu Jabberjee BA by F. Anstey. Chapter fourteen. Mr. Jabberjee's fellow student. What's in a title? An invitation to a wedding. Mr. J. as a wedding guest, with what he thought of the ceremony and how he distinguished himself on the occasion. There is a certain English young fellow student of mine, to wit and videlicit, Howard Albert Innit Esquire, with whom I have succeeded in scratching an acquaintance at sundry law lectures, and in the library of my inn of court, a most amiable tip-top young chap who is the moulded glass of fashionable form and cap in hand with innumerable aristocratic knobs seeing that i had at an earlier period been a more diligent attendant and note-taker of the lectures than himself he did pay me the transcendent compliment of borrowing the loan of my notebook which to my grateful astonishment he condescended to bring back personally to portugabella house saying that he had found my notes magnificent and totally incomprehensible to his more limited intellect in additum he graciously accepted my invitation to ascend to the drawing-room where i introduced him freely to several select lady boarders as my alter ego and fidus achates on taking his leave he expressed some marvelling that i should have concealed my superior rank under the reticence of a napkin having observed that i was addressed as prince by more than one of the softer sexed boarders i replied that i attached no valid importance to the nominous umbra of such a barren title and that the contents of what there is nothing in must necessarily be not he answered me warmly that he entirely joined issue with me in such an opinion, and that he was often affected to sickishness by the snobbery of mundane society, adding that he hoped I would give him the look-up at his paternal mansion in Prince's Square, Bayswater, shortly, since his people would be overjoyed at making my acquaintance, which both enraptured and surprised me, for hitherto he had ridden the high and rough-shoed horse, and employed me to suck my brains as a cat's foot. And odd zookers! Before many days I was the recipient of a silver-lettered missive stating that Mr. and Mrs. Leofric Albert Innett did request the honor of Prince Jabberjee's company at the marriage of their daughter, Clorinda Isabel, with Mr. Overton Wood, Bay Smart, at a certain sacred Bayswater edifice. This I eagerly accepted, perceiving that my friend must have eulogized to his parents my legal accomplishments and forensic acumen. When I did, in all my best, obey, alighting at the church in my embossed cap, shawl neckcloth a pair of yellow glove kids and patented japan shoes the spectators saluted me with shouts of joy as the returned shazadar which caused me to bow profusely while the driver of the hansom petitioned an additional sixpence the interior of the church was dim and crowded with feminines and i could only hear flutters and rustlings together with a subdued mumble at the remoter end which i ascertained to be the ceremony then followed the long stop and awkward pause accompanied on the organ and at length all the company stood on seats in the tiptoe of expectation as the bridal procession moved slowly down the central passage amidst the congratulations of their friends and nearest relations not being desirous to hide under a bushel i did press myself forward and addressing a lady whom i took to be the bride i felicitated her loudly wishing that she might never become a widow or use vermilion on her gray head and that she might wear the iron bangle and get seven male children unhappily the serene ray of my goodwill was born to blush unseen in the dark unfathomed cave of a desert ear for the actual recipient of my compliments was an unmarried spinster relative who had already passed the years of discretion 
mrs albert in it welcomed me with cordial effusiveness insisting that i should honor them by visiting their residence and critically inspecting the nuptial gifts to which i consented on my arrival i held a lengthy colloquy with the happy bridegroom for whom i was anxious to obtain particulars of english marriage customs such as whether he would be required to spend the evening in having his ears pulled and other facetious banterings by his mother-in-law and sisters-in-law as in india but he seemed oppressed by so severe bashfulness that i could extract no information from him and presently the father of the bride came up and conducted me into an apartment wherein was a kind of bazaar or exhibition of clocks and lamps and stationary cases and knives and forks and other trinkets and gewgaws none of which appeared to me at all different from similar objects in shop windows however the greatest admiration and wonderment were expressed by all who entered and i found that the host was under grave apprehensiveness that the presence might be looted by the more unscrupulous of the guests for he pointed out to me a sharp-eyed shy gentleman in a corner who he informed me was a disguised police officer this at first i was loth to believe but was assured that it was a necessary precaution still i will presume to point out that the simulation by a policeman of the ordinary character of a friend of the family and fellow rejoicer is a rather reprehensible trap to catch a sleeping weasel since those whose honesty is not invariably above par may be lulled into the false security by his civilian get-up and i did assure him privately that it was totally unnecessary to keep an eye on myself who was a native university man with no necessity or natural taste for peculation but that i would infallibly inform him if i should succeed at detecting any attempt at dishonesty later i was ushered into the refreshment room and partook of a pink ice with champagne wine and strawberries after which i entreated leave of mrs albert in it to deliver a nuptial oration and she overjoyed at my happy thought did loudly request silence for prince jabberjee who was to utter a few very brief utterances so as they became all ears i addressed them describing how in my native country at such a bridal feast and blow-out it was customary for the bridegroom's mother to eat a sevenfold repast for fear of a subsequently empty stomach but the bride's mother on the contrary will touch nothing feeling that the more she fasts then the more provender will fall to her later on and i facetiously added that on the present occasion i had the certainty that both the mothers might indulge their appetites ad libitum next i recounted how during a former boyish wedding of my own my wife's mother after as was befitting setting a conical tinselled cap upon my head and placing ten rings of twigs upon my ten fingers and binding my hands with a weaver's shuttle did say i have bound thee and bought thee with cowries and put a shuttle between thy fingers now bleat then like a lamb whereupon i being of a jokish disposition did unexpectedly and contrary to usage cry bah loudly causing my mother-in-law to fear that i was a dull until that night in the zenana she had the great happiness to overhear me outwitting all the females present by the sprightliness of my badinage and i was proceeding amidst vociferous cachination to enumerate some of my most lively sallies when the bride's father did take me by the arm and drawing me aside inform me that the young couple were just about to start for their wedding journey and that i was urgently required to see them depart i observed that here as with us it is de regale to scatter rice upon the head of the bridegroom but neither treacle nor spices moreover this complimentary shower is extended to the bride and the carriage horses and hurled with athletic vigorousness while it is a point of honor to knock off the coachman's hat with a female satin slipper i was disappointed to see that both the happy pair had cast aside their gorgeous wedding garments and put on quite ordinary and everyday attire which if not due to excessive parsimoniousness must originate in a shamefaced desire to conceal their state of connubiality though it might be reasonably anticipated that they should rather be anxious to manifest their triumphant good luck pro bono publico 
End of chapter 14.